of the most important things for us is to, for us to understand that what we target is the heart. We target the inner man, uh, and it can be confusing because the Bible makes distinction, inner man, outer man, and those two things are not completely divorced. They're not, uh, it's not a dichotomy where they're, they are two separate things, where we behave separately from who we are on the inside. Those things are are intertwined. The distinction in the scripture is the way in which we see those things and how we understand what actually happens when we have emotions and when we have attitudes and when we have behaviors. And hopefully by the end of this time this morning, we'll understand a little bit more of this distinction that is very, very clear in the scriptures, but not so simple for us to pay attention to in the fallen world in which we live in but it's something that the Bible makes very clear. I'm going to start with an illustration. I think it'll help you to understand a little bit about this distinction of the heart and how we have to be careful in the way in which we care for one another. I would first say that you know, I'd encourage my students in this way is when we talk about the heart and we talk about the issues of the heart, I pray that this morning, yes, we're talking about biblical soul care and how you can care for others. And I want that to be the end goal, but I but I want it to start with you. I want you to, to, to begin with, Lord, how do I apply this in my own life? And what I see happening personally in me and, uh, is as I'm able to do this more by applying the scriptures to my own heart, it raises my confidence in the way in which I minister the scriptures to others. And so I want us to begin by thinking about this in application to our own life. Uh, when I was a young, much younger man, uh, I was 25, I think, and um, I was an associate pastor, and it was my duty to preach this particular day. And on this particular day, as I'm uh, preaching, we have, uh, I think at that point, maybe, yeah, we just had one son, our oldest, and I don't know, maybe two-ish years old. And so me being the preacher that day, we put him in the nursery, and he's doing his thing in the nursery and we come out after service, and we're typically the last ones, and we pick him up, and the teachers are still in there. And he walks out, and he has a Hot Wheels car in his hand. Now, we had lots of Hot Wheels cars at our home. It was something uh, of a favorite toy that he played with. But this particular one, I did not recognize. And so I noticed that he took this car and began to walk out, and not thinking anything of it, but... But I, at that point, started to be um, a little embarrassed as the one who was preaching that day that my kid would steal a Hot Wheels car out of the nursery. And so I proceed to try and do what any good dad would do when he's embarrassed, and I try to shame my kid. And you're going to walk back in there, and you're going to you know, apologize for you taking this, and this is not yours, and all this good stuff. And so he does that, and he, he drops off the Hot Wheels car. Well... Uh, thinking we had done a really good job, and um, the next week it was my turn to preach again, and same story. And we come out, and one of the things that I was paying attention to is, um, as we pick our son up, was, does he have a Hot Wheels car? And so there's this brief moment where I thought, man, this is amazing, right? He walks out, and there's no Hot Wheels car to be found. And I'm like, what an outstanding parent you are. Uh, in the way in which you just handled that situation, and uh, we've won the day. So off we go, we get into our minivan, and yes, we were minivan people. Um, and I look in the rearview mirror as he's tucked in tightly to his car seat, and he pulls out of his pocket a Hot Wheels car. 
The Lord taught me a lot through even that moment uh, is how do we teach and train and change as human beings? One of the ways that that happens is it has to begin with addressing the issues of the heart. Because here's what I did. I just simply shamed his outward behavior as if that behavior was unacceptable. And yes, that's true. But if that's all you do, what you will create is a, is a more sophisticated sinner. You see, what he recognized is that his behavior was unacceptable to me. And so he just attempted to hide his behavior from me. Do you understand how that works? And you and I often do the same thing, is we have a tendency to focus on behavior, and yes, behavior is important. The things we do outwardly are important. In fact, the Bible often addresses those things via commands. It commands us not to do certain things, or it commands us to do certain things. But there's never a disconnection from where those things come from. The Bible describes it always as originating in our inner man or from the heart of who we are. So when we talk about biblical soul care, it is always insufficient if we do not target the heart of a person. So as you think about your own care through the scriptures and the way in which God cares for you, God cares about the way that you behave. And in fact, he commands you to do certain things. But the way in which you change genuinely begins by change in your heart, your disposition, the way that you know, the things that you know, the things that you desire, the things that you want, the things that you, that you treasure. So I want to begin by thinking about this issue of the heart. This is what Paul Tripp says. I love this quote. I think this book is really a good description of what good, uh, informal, biblical church ministry should look like. Uh, in his book, Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands, this is what he says. We forget that God's primary goal is not changing our situations or relationships so that we can be happy, but changing us through our situations and relationships so that we will be holy. You see, if we have a different aim, we have a different aim from the scriptures. And if we have a different aim, then we will seek different solutions than what God seeks for us. And this is the danger, I think, in the culture in which we live, is we have a tendency to pursue different types of remedies because we don't pursue what God desires relative to change in us. Remember, we've talked about this, that the aim of biblical soul care is sanctification. The aim of biblical soul care is that you be conformed to the image of Christ because that's the way that you were designed. So when we think about soul care, it has to target the heart. Right, Matthew 15, 18, we'll talk about that passage in a little bit, because it's from the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. The way that we act, the way that we do, comes from the heart. J.I. Packer describes and defines the heart this way, and there are a lot of different definitions. I would Let me, let me pause and give a, 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 a plug for a book that I think probably addresses this issue of the heart as good as any um, from, from more of a biblical exposition or biblical explanation. Uh, is a book by Craig Troxell called With All Your Heart. Uh, It's only been out in the last year and a half or so, and it is uh, by far one of the best handlings, I think, of this issue of the heart. But J.I. Packer gave us a definition, and this is what he says about the heart. He says, it's the controlling source of all that we do in expression of what we are. All of our thoughts, desires, discernments, and decisions, our plans and purposes, and our affections, attitudes, and ambitions, all the wisdom and all the folly that marks our lives comes out of 
and are fueled, serviced, and driven by our hearts. It's truly what makes up the person that you really are. Now, I want to break this down a little bit, and then I want us to get practical toward the end. If we can break down understanding the inner man just to some degree, and this this section here comes, if you're looking at your notes, this section comes directly from the way in which Craig Troxell breaks the idea of the heart down. He describes the heart in some senses in simplicity, that it's the inner man that makes us who we are. But then he describes that that doesn't mean that we are simple people, that we are actually complex beings, and the inner workings of our human heart are really divided into three basic descriptions as we see unfolded in Scripture. It's described in three basic ideas, in things that we know, things that we love, and things that we choose. Some people use the terms of uh, knowing, loving, or desiring and then volition or will. And so when we think about the the heart, the heart is the inner man, and it's based on the things that we know or the things that we think. This is why the Bible describes and and makes so important the things that you think. And any time that biblical change happens, we see this consistently in the Scriptures, whether we're talking about Proverbs and Solomon speaking to his sons, or we're talking about the New Testament and Jesus describing how people change, or we're talking about Paul in Ephesians He says, this must happen by a renewal of the mind, the way that we think. We're rocking along thinking in a certain way, and we're living according to that reality about, about what we believe, and we respond based on what we know at that given time. And so uh, we hear the word, as we hear the word, our hearts and minds begin to change, and then we respond differently to different scenarios. That's a part of how we change, is it does matter what we know in the mind. And then this issue of desires. Think about the passage that Jesus describes in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. You may be wondering today, well, where is my heart? Well, just go on a treasure hunt. And what you begin to see at the end of that treasure hunt is where your heart truly is, where your loves are, where your affections are, the things that you choose most, They don't betray who you really are on the inside. In fact, they reveal who you really are. You see, here's the beauty of all this and the way in which God has done this in the revelation of his word, in the way in which he unveils the type of people that we really are, is you can't open your heart and see the type of person that you are. Right? I know, uh, especially here, Hallmark encourages us to follow our what? There's no more anti-gospel, unbiblical, primary way of thinking than that cultural sensitivity. That would be one of the most dangerous things you could do is to follow your heart because the Bible describes that the way in which we follow our heart is our hearts are deceitful and wicked who can know it. And so how does God reveal our heart? Well, he reveals our heart by the things that we do, the situations that he puts us in. And then by those situations, we see the ways that we respond, not in purpose of condemnation, but in purpose of revealing you so that you see the type of person that you really are. And so the goal is not that you run from those things. In fact, whenever you see those things revealed in ways that are contrary to God and his character, because remember, you as a human being were born and made to reflect his image. So the ways in which you live in behavior, emotions, attitudes, and actions that are contrary to what God reveals about himself in Scripture, 
That's a call for you, in G- as Jesus would say in Matthew 11, to come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Not to respond the way that Adam and Eve did by running and hiding when their sin was revealed. But that's the kindness of the Lord, that in daily interaction that you see that, and not to be deceived about what you see, but to pay attention to what you see, and in the kindness of the Lord revealing that, that that would lead you to repentance. So we think about this issue of the heart. It is about what we know, the things that we truly know. This is why it's so important for you to make it a regular occasion that you are attending with the believers here in fellowship to hear the word consistently. That's why it's important, right? You don't get some sort of check mark in heaven about reading your scriptures every day. The beauty of you being face to face with God so that your heart can be truly revealed so that you learn and know what is to be true about him and that you're not deceived about the way the interactions of the world go right before your face. You're confident in who God has revealed himself to be because you know who he is by what he's revealed in his word. So it does matter the things that you know, a constant renewal of the mind. It does matter the things that you desire, the things that you want. I'll ask you that question. What is it that you most want in life? We could say, what is it that you spend most of your time doing? What is it that you spend most of your time pursuing? What is it you spend most of your time dwelling on, meditating on, thinking about? Where do you spend your energies? In the stewardship of the time, effort, talent, resources that you have, where do you give those things? That will reveal the things that you desire. And then what do you choose? In volition, what is it that you choose to do every day with the time that you have? And in given situations, it's not the situation that makes you do something, it's your response to that situation and it reveals something about you and what you want and what you choose to do in those given moments. In fact, it's revealing that which you treasure. And we can see that certainly revealed in our own life and we can see it revealed in the lives of others and this is a part of how we care for one another. Because when we see those treasures to be contrary to what God says in Matthew chapter 6, where he tells us in Matthew 6, 33, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. You see, that's the conclusion when he's just finished teaching us about fear and worry and anxiety. See, he's teaching us that because what we know to be true about God is contrary to the way we live when we were overwhelmed with fear and worry and anxiety. He's revealing to us what things we treasure. And his encouragement then at the end of that passage is just to simply say, seek first the kingdom of God. You were made for that. You were made to treasure Christ. And when you don't treasure Christ, you see yourself unstable in that way. Turn your Bible to Proverbs 4, 23. Proverbs 4, 23. Of course, this is Solomon speaking to his, his son or sons, and he's encouraging them. He's, he's trying to help them to understand how to be wise. And he's teaching them things that are true, that are according to the commandments, that are true to be revealed about God. And he gets to chapter 4, and this is really interesting because I think he demonstrates what we should treasure most. And really the whole of this 
um, this whole chapter is really quite amazing because it, it tells us what to tune our ear to. It tells us where to turn our affections. It, it begins to build our knowledge about that which is true. But in his conclusion, which is probably the most famous passage, he tells us something about the, the, the humanity. He tells us something about the nature of who we are and how we were made. And he does that by encouraging us primarily through a warning. Okay, look at Proverbs 4, 23. And, and remember, he's teaching this to his sons. He's teaching, them, uh, he's teaching them about life, about themselves, how to understand what's going on in life. And this is what he says, watch over your heart, or another translation will say something like this, maybe a little bit stronger, not just, not just watch, as if you're passively sitting back and watch, but the, the term here is guard. The idea is that, that you take up arms and it's not a passive sort of disposition where you're just paying attention to see what happens to you and then you can evaluate it. No, the idea is that you're active in this process, that you are guarding your heart or watch over your heart with all diligence or vigilance. Now, why does he tell us to do that? Because we pay attention to that which we most treasure. Our affections and our thoughts and our ideas are always tuned to that which we are most affectionate about. Watch over your heart. Why does he tell us to do that? Because that is the thing in you that is most treasured according to Scripture. And he's giving us an order of hierarchy, really, here where he's telling us the, the place from which we do all the things that we do. To not be deceived like the natural man, as Paul describes in 1 Corinthians 2.14, the natural man cannot discern the things of the Spirit. He sees the things that happen on the outside, but he can't discern the depths of the human heart. And what, what Solomon is helping us to understand here is that we are to guard our heart. Why? Because he says, from it flow the springs of life. That the things that you think, the things that you say, and the things that you do, the ways that you react in unwanted situations, they come from somewhere. And it's not from the Force, for those of you who are Star Wars fans. It's not from fate. It is from the inner man. It's from the heart. So he says to guard your heart with all vigilance, because from it flow the springs of life. Now, this tells us several things, is that this is exactly what the evil one will attack. This is exactly where the flesh attacks and lures and entices the things in which we know, the things in which we desire, and he then entices us according to our choices. And so we have to be vigilant, diligent, to make sure that we're operating according to the truth based on what we, we know to be true, and that we desire the things that we were made to desire. And those things are conformed by the scripture because given whatever situation, you're going to respond appropriately according to who you truly are on the inside. Your identity is not up for grabs. The way the Bible describes, and I know that's sort of a, a popular idea today, is that our identity is something that, that we have the power to shape and to form. But your identity is, is basically given in, in two ways, either in Christ or outside of Christ. And those who are in Christ, the identity is an established identity that you are someone who has been bought with a price from what Christ paid, and now your heart is to be given in devotion primarily to him. Otherwise, based on 2 Corinthians 5.14, you will have a desire primarily for yourself, and you will live out of an abundance of devotion and desire to just simply please you. 
Those are all the unwanted things that come out of you, by the way, that the Scripture is constantly trying to teach us to overcome. And Jesus agrees with Solomon's assessment here of this issue of the heart and that from it flow the things of life. It is the wellspring, if you will. I grew up in Florida, and so one of my favorite things to do in the summertime is go to a place called Itchtutney Springs. You go to the boil of the spring, and there are like millions of gallons of water flowing out of this thing. And it produces a river that, that flows downstream. And it's, uh, it's really interesting to see. If you, were to, if you were to taint that boil, that spring water, then certainly downriver you would see uh, problems. It's the same way when you think, about, you think about our life. Jesus agrees with what Solomon is saying in Matthew 15, 18. From the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Go to Luke chapter 6. And Jesus sort of gives a commentary on this idea. He gives a commentary on this idea of Matthew 15, 18. Matthew 15, 18, where he says this in Luke 6. He gives us an illustration of this same concept or this same idea. Verse 43, he says, For there is no good tree which produces bad fruit, nor, on the other hand, a bad tree which produces good fruit. Now, this is pretty common. Uh, to an agrarian society. Maybe we've lost some of these ideas, but, but the basic idea is that uh, we fruit the things that are born in the root of who we are, right? I know sometimes you may be in some sort of conflict and you say something like, well, no, I didn't mean to say that. Well, no, yes, you did. That was the fruit that came from the root. Do you understand? And Jesus is helping us to understand those concepts. We do the things that's based on what we treasure most in the inner man of who we are. There's no good tree which produces bad fruit, or on the other hand, a bad tree which produces good fruit. Verse 44, for each tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorn uh, thorn bushes, nor do they pick grapes from a briar bush. The good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth what is good. And the evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth what is evil. For his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. So I want to give you two basic ideas is that we learn most if we understand this principle by seeing what comes out of us, but it also helps us to understand what we have to target in order to change the person that we are. And it's only the scriptures based on Hebrews 4.12 that can accomplish that level of discernment in us to reveal that which our heart truly treasures, to reveal that which our heart truly desires and then helping us to know what we should desire instead, helping us to know what we ought to treasure instead, and how we go about changing that. Now, our hearts are like tea bags. This afternoon, we're going to do care group, be some people who come over to my house, and I'll give you an experiment. You can ask Miss Summer if you can go peek into the cupboard, and in the cupboard, there are lots of teas. We enjoy tea, and if uh, for some reason one of the little tea bags has fallen out of its box or whatever, and you're curious as to what that tea might look like, you can grab that tea bag and you can put it into a little cup and you start to pour hot water over it. Do you ever get mesmerized by something like that? Like, it's kind of like for me, I love the wintertime in part because we can burn things and you watch fire and you just get like, I mean, you spent 30 minutes doing nothing and you're just watching the flames sort of like go. Well, pouring, pouring hot water into a tea bag is sort of like that. 
You ever notice it, it almost looks sort of mystical and strange, right? The clear water and then all of a sudden this colored, you know, sort of, you guys aren't following what I'm talking about. <clears throat> it starts to come out. Well, how do we know what's in the tea bag? Well, some people might say, well, it was because of the, the hot water. Well, the hot water didn't make the tea the type of tea that it is, right? One of the things that we've learned by drinking tea is there are all sorts and kinds of teas, they come from different places, and they add different things to it, and it can taste in different ways. But what reveals that is the hot water. But it, just, it doesn't change the identity of the tea or what type of tea it actually is. The hot water just simply reveals what's in the tea bag. And so it's actually quite similar to us as human beings. Is this, If we were the tea bag, what, what reveals who we are is the hot water that we find ourselves in at times, in any given day, any given week, any given situation that might be difficult, which the scripture describes as things like suffering. And that begins to reveal the type of person that we are. Most of the time, what our culture does is tries to deal with the exterior. They just simply try to, to rid us of the situation. That was a bad situation, right? And yes, there are times which God definitely tells us to run from those situations. But what we often try and do to think is the answer is the bad is not born from within. The bad is born from without. So just remove yourself from that situation and the good from within you will prevail. Nothing could be further from the truth in the scriptures. Is the hot water of different situations just simply reveals the type of person that we are in the same way that the hot water reveals the type of tea that's in the bag. Because what comes out of the heart in actions and words that's what was in the heart. Now, let's be honest. That's a really difficult truth for us to, to grapple with because there, there are times in your day when you'd rather not see the things that come out of you. There, there are certainly times in my day where I'd rather not see the things that come out of me. But the reality is, is it's revealing something about who we are. And I think we have to pause for a moment and to think of the kindness of the Lord to help you to see that. And that today the, the, the Lord was kind to bring about a scenario where, where that would be revealed about you. Now the great deception is you're going to turn your eye to something different to explain it. But the reality is, is that the, the Bible, as we preached a couple of weeks ago, becomes that revealer as a mirror of the human heart to help you to see the type of person that you really are. And to think that God loves you enough to speak that truth in his revelation, in his word to you that you can see what type of person that you are and then by the power of the Spirit to respond appropriately. So everything we think, everything we say, and everything we do, it makes a statement about God. And one of the ways that you can begin to understand in your life is pay attention to the things that you think. Is it consistent with what God says we should think or how we should think? Is it consistent with what God says to be true about the world, what God says to be true about you, what God says to be true about situations, what God says to be true about him, what God says to be true about other people, and our role as stewards with what he's given us in the ways that you speak? Do the ways that you speak reveal what is true about God in what he's called us to in character, in, in action? Right? Do the ways that we behave, do they make accurate statements about God? 
And here's the thing. When you find yourself not speaking in a way or acting in a way or thinking in a way that reveals true character about God, that's a call for you to come to Christ, not run from him. That's a call for you to run to him in repentance. That is true soul care. And so for us as a body, when we see in each other us thinking things that are not accurate about God, that matters. Why? Because thinking is the seedbed for behaving when situations come. And that we would love one another well enough to take the word, to minister the word, to help us to change our thinking. That's biblical soul care. When we see desires that are not consistent with the word of God, it's the same process. And that demonstrates love from a pure heart in the ways in which we care for one another. Now, in the few minutes that we have left, what I want to do is is sort of maybe put this in practice as we look at Galatians chapter 5 and and how we think about focusing on the heart. Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. Let's see if we can break this down into, into three basic points in, in how, we, how we change the affections of the heart, how we, how we target the heart truly in the ways in which we respond and the ways in which we live in life. Galatians 5, 16. We're, I'm going to read down maybe through verse 23. Uh, but, but I want us to see some of the, the primary points here early on. He says, but, but I say this. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. And see, he's, now we're seeing consistency throughout the Scripture. Now do you see how the, the whole of the counsel of God's Word, and we, we just dipped our toe into some of these ideas. They are everywhere in Scripture where what we desire on the inside comes out in what we do, think, and say on the outside. He, he fleshes this out by, in verse 19, giving us what, what he calls deeds of the flesh, or fruit of the flesh. And then he contrasts that when he gets to verses uh, 22 and 23 with fruit of the Spirit, that which is produced of the Spirit within us. And so he, he encourages here, but I say this to you, walk by the Spirit. So there's an active pursuing of what we should be doing, right? And an active denying of what we're called not to do in process. Now, how does this happen? Now, I'm going to start to flesh this out if we can. What we're aiming at is not carrying out the desires of the flesh, the things in which our flesh loves and wants to fulfill, that we think fulfills us. Now, in order to understand that, you have to understand that we're not born the way the culture says that we're born. We're not born good. Okay, We're not born with a blank slate. Uh, Almost every single system that tries to understand man, particularly from a secular worldview, either would proclaim that man is somehow innately good and he's he's only tainted by society or those things which uh, he's around environmentally speaking. And so we have to be careful not to to think as the world does. Uh, What Paul assumes here is that we are born, as Solomon describes in, in Proverbs, We are born foolish. We are born tainted in heart. We are born missing the mark. Romans 5 describes because of one man's sin that entered into the world, now 
all men are described as sinners. We're all sinful. That's the way in which we're born. And he says, but I say this, when you've been changed, when you're, you've been awakened in heart, walk by the Spirit. This is the way you were made to live, is to walk by the Spirit. And that's what begins to, to crush the desires of the flesh. Number one, this should be hopeful to you. This should be hopeful because the world doesn't offer a system except to paint you up in some way, to present you as something that you're really not. But what the Bible says is intrinsically there's power by the Spirit and the Word to change, in effect, who you really are. That you don't have to stay the same. That should be good news to all of us if we assess the last week in our lives. Now, how does this happen? He says, but I say walk by the Spirit. Remember, I told you, maybe it was last week or a week before, uh, that what our primary duty is as believers is to submit to the Spirit of God. That is our primary duty. And what do you mean by that? Well, we submit to what God has revealed in His Word, that the Bible describes that the Spirit reveals to us. So what God commands in His Word, what God calls us to in His Word, what God gives us as truth in His Word, we have been called to submit to that. And then what happens? We see change is possible, that we don't desire the things of the flesh any longer. And what does this take? Meditation on the Word, constant meditation on the Word. If you were to go back to Proverbs chapter 4, you see this in verse 1, 10, and 20, that there's something that's significant about what we tune our ear to. I think it's really similar here. I think it's some of what Jesus is talking about in Matthew chapter 6, that our ears will hear what our heart delights in. Our ear will always hear what our heart delights in. And so we have to give ourselves in time to meditate on the Word, that we delight in what God says and that it brings us hope, it brings us change. It brings us satisfaction and fulfillment. And in that, that's desirable. That's what we want most. And so therefore, our, heart, our ears will be tuned to what our heart truly delights in. We are called to delight in God's word. This is a part of what Paul talks about in Colossians chapter 3, when we're allowing the word of Christ to dwell in us richly. This is the same way the psalmist describes this in Psalm 119.11, your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Because we, we treasure reflecting the character of God and we begin to love what God loves and hate what he hates. And we know the way in which we stay away from the things that he hates is by delighting in what he has revealed about himself. Turn to Psalm chapter 1. Keep your finger in Galatians. We're going to be back there. But Psalm chapter 1. And listen to the way this whole principle works out in how the psalmist describes the things that are true. This is what he says. How blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. And what type of person will he be when he delights in the law of God. He will be like a tree that's firmly planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and its leaf does not wither and in whatsoever he does, he prospers. And then he says in verse four, but the wicked are not so. You see this principle here even in Psalm chapter 
one. This is who we are and what we've been called to delight in is delight in the word, that we walk by the spirit so that we're not desiring the, the flesh. Romans 12, 1 and 2, this is a, a great conclusion, I think, to Romans 1 through 11. You see this massive transition happen in this book of Romans. Romans 1 through 11 is this uh, sort of begins with an awful declaration about who we are, right? If you ever just read Romans 1 through 3, you'll walk away depressed. And you should probably read Romans 4, 5, and 6, right? Uh, at least get to chapter 8. So never read Romans 1 through 3 in one sitting. All right, always get to Romans 8. That's really great. But when you read Romans uh, 1 through 11, what we see is, is what God reveals in Romans chapter 12 is the mercies of God. The mercies of God toward you because of the character of Christ and who he is and the power that he has gained over sin for those who believe. And now, what does he tell us in Romans 12.1? By those mercies of God, do what? Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to the Lord. And we do this by renewing of our mind in the inner man. And how does that happen? By your delight in the law of God. And what does it produce? No longer fruit that's consistent with your sinful flesh, but now fruit that's consistent with the righteousness of Christ. This is how we change. This is true soul care. This is what leads to true and lasting satisfaction and gratification as we walk faithfully with the Lord. If you go back to, to Galatians chapter 5, for this I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, one of the things we have to see is, is not only do we delight in meditating on the Word and having our hearts saturated constantly by the Word, but there's also not just a putting on, but a putting off. And we see this consistently throughout Paul's writings where he encourages us, Ephesians chapter 4, for example, where he tells us to renew our mind, and by that then we put off the old man and we put on the new man in Ephesians 4, 21 and following. So we're to put off something and put on something. We're to deny the flesh and crucify the flesh. This is what J.C. Ryle says when he's talking about the mortification of our sin. So we're meditating on the word, but for the purpose of our hearts, uh, us denying our heart's desire, our fleshly desires of sin. He says, you and sin must quarrel if you and God are to be friends. Now, he, he, I love the way he describes this because he's not saying that you need to be perfect or else you're not Christ. What he's saying is that you need to take up arms in the same way Solomon describes and guard your heart with all vigilance because that's where your life flows from. So you and sin must quarrel if you and God are to be friends. What, what do I mean by quarrel? Well, the idea is that you are actively pursuing to put to death the deeds of the flesh. And notice how he says to do that. Not by your own strength. How does he tell us to do that? Walk by the Spirit. An active walking according to the Spirit. And then we are crucifying the desires of the flesh. Elsewhere in the whole of Scripture, he tells us to put off all that remains of wickedness and filthiness, 1 Thessalonians 5, and to put on the righteousness of of Christ. So change in the inner man happens in a twofold process. 
as we meditate on the word and we know what we are to pursue according to God's good grace, that we pursue those things. And as we pursue that which is good according to the Lord, we are actively crucifying those desires of the flesh. It's replacing those thoughts, desires, and deeds in your mind. So that way you're not dwelling on the deeds of the flesh. You cannot actively pursue the service of God and mammon, as, as Jesus says. And so Paul's mentality here in the New Testament is that we actively pursue walking by the Spirit and then what becomes less desirable, the deeds of the flesh. And that's how we mortify the flesh. That's how we target the heart. And then what's the conclusion? So if we were to read the rest of Galatians 5, 16 and following, but, but I say this, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Verse 19, now the deeds of the flesh are evident. And this is not a uh, comprehensive list here of the deeds of the flesh. It is, it is a sample. It is exemplary of the things that you see coming out of you. And here's the thing. When you see these things coming out of you, it, it tells you not only do you do these things, but there are certain things in the inner man that you desire, love, and know that are faulty. And if we don't target the heart, those outward things will never change. If all we do is say, I don't want to do these things on the outside, and you come up with some program that you think is going to fix those things, remember, all you're doing is creating in yourself a more sophisticated sinner, where you will do what is acceptable socially to make yourself feel better and fulfill the flesh. And you'll do it in a way that appears religious. And Jesus will say, depart from me because I never knew you. And so we have to pay attention to that which is in the inner man. That way our heart and desire changes in affection toward him. And here's the list. Immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions. Verse 21, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Why would he say such a thing? Because he's saying these things reveal who you really are in your heart. And so if we don't attack th these things according to the word in the heart, then what we're doing is merely servicing the flesh in religious piety. The end goal, yes, is to change the outward man. No question about that. But we have to target the heart first. And then what do we pray comes as we walk by the Spirit? He gives us that picture in verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit. And notice if we go back to Luke chapter 6, this is exactly consistent with the way in which Jesus described the good tree, bad tree, the good fruit, bad fruit analogy, okay, or metaphor. And so this is the picture that we see. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is, no, there is no law. So what happens when we give ourselves to Christ and we mortify the flesh and we walk according to the Spirit because we've meditated on the Word and we've crucified the flesh? What we begin to see is a manifestation of Christ-likeness in us. That's not because of our own deeds, but it's because of the work of Christ in us, because of what he's revealed in his word. 
And he begins to change us from the inside out. That way we say with the psalmist, Psalm 37, 4, which is often misinterpreted and misunderstood, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. What does that mean? All the things that you've been wanting, Jesus is your genie. No. You see, the idea is now when I meditate on the word and I delight in the law of God, what he does is he changes me on the inside. That way now I delight in the things that delight him. And my desires change in such a way that I want the things that he wants. And then what comes out? Love, genuine love, not a reciprocal love where I love you for the way you love me back, but I love you despite you because of Christ. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. And I would dare say that as we do those things, those are the things which people who are struggling, that's what they really want. They, they want that. They want what the Spirit can produce in them. And we have the power by the Spirit of God and His Word entrusted to us to target the heart so that we begin to see change in a reflection of satisfaction in the way we were made to love well, to walk in joy and peace and faithfulness, gentleness, kindness, and self-control because it reflects the character of God. May that be so among us. Would you implant the Word Right, so that you can see that come out of you. And then as you're confident in what the word does in you, that you begin to apply it to each other. And what comes out is something that's worthy, desirous, and beautiful because it's the character of our Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we're so grateful for your kindness and goodness toward us in the giving of your word, in the truth that you tell us as hard as it may be, but it is a delight to us. And so, Father, I pray that you help to keep our hearts and our affections uh, fixed toward you. May our minds be fixated toward you. We love you, Christ. Thank you for your word. Bless our worship today in Christ's name. Amen.